feel qualified to uh, to be a teacher. Today's sermon's for you. Uh, if you don't feel, uh, if you're a little afraid of getting up on stage, as some of you guys were, uh, today's sermon's for you as well. Uh, in wanting to get away like the Southwest Airlines commercials are. Uh, but today, we're going through a brand new series and journey that's going to take a very long time. Uh, this morning, we're going to embark on a journey going through the book of Jonah. Uh, and the book of Jonah is a very, very small book uh, in your Bible, in, in the Old Testament, in between uh, Obadiah and Micah. Uh, and it's so small, it's only four chapters. It Really, if you have never read the book of Jonah before, it'll take you 15 minutes to do so, so I encourage you to do that. And after this Sunday, you'll be a fourth of the way through it already. Um, so we're, only, we're having four sermons, and there's four chapters in the Bible, so it, or in the, the book, so it's going to go pretty quick. But I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be preaching four in a row. This will be sprinkled throughout the summer, and so that's why it's going to take us a little while to get through it. But the question is, uh, why Jonah? You know, why the book of Jonah? I would imagine for most of you uh, who've been in the Sunday school class, that's a f- pretty familiar story. Uh, or if you're, even if you're a skeptic to Christianity, the, the story of Jonah and the whale, it, it, most people know about it. They've heard of it just because it just sounds so preposterous. It just sounds so ludicrous. Like, of course, Christians believe something as loony as that. Like, <laughs> that sounds something like they would believe. You know, a story about, about a, a man being eaten by a whale but not being digested by that whale for three days course Christians would believe that. And so that, this may be the hiccup for you. This may be the time that you choose to, to check out. Uh, and so, I, I mean, the, the, these are big questions. You know, how is it possible for, for a man to survive being eaten by a whale? You know, the question's like, is, is there air? You know, did, how did he survive? What, was there water? What did he eat? Uh, were there other people inside the whale with him to keep him company? <laughs> There's so many things, you're, there's just so many big questions to, to try to figure out. You know, why wasn't he digested? What's going on there? Um, and so there's all these questions, and, there, and there's great resources online to give you uh, some, some reasons to believe that this could happen, uh, to say that this is possible. Uh, but let's just be honest. This is a miracle. <laughs> this is ridiculous. It's absolutely right. It's preposterous. This shouldn't happen. This, this doesn't happen all the time. Uh, that's kind of what miracles are. They are supernatural. They're above the normal. Uh, they, they are beyond explanation. They are beyond replication. Uh, that, that is what miracles are. And this is why I, I get frustrated sometimes when uh, people try to explain, like, the plagues of Egypt and say, like, oh, here's how the plagues could have happened. You know, if, if the frogs did this, or if they say, like, you know, if, if Moses was to pass through the Red Sea, if you wait till a certain time of the year, the sandbar comes up, and maybe they could have walked through the... <laughs> like, you're, you're ruining <laughs> the miracle of the story of what, what was actually happening here. That if there is a God, and I know for a skeptic that might be a big jump, but just granted, if there is a God that created the world and even created the world's natural laws, he could, he could suspend those natural laws every now and then if he wanted to. He could even do it in such a way to have a whale eat a man uh, and not digest him and keep him alive for three days. And so... <laughs> I don't want to naturalize this as much, but because that's really not what this story is about. The story isn't even about you know a whale eating a man. The story isn't even about uh, Jonah, even though this is one of my favorite stories of all time and one of my favorite books in the Bible is the story of Jonah. What's fascinating is not the whale eating the man. What's fascinating is not uh, the, the 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 sea, the sailors. What's fascinating is that the God's prophet isn't the hero in the story. That God's, God's dude is actually the villain. 
of the story. And God has to rescue his own prophet to save his people. And so this story isn't about Jonah. It's not about a whale. This is a story about God's unrelenting, incessant, relentless grace for his people. And so please stand for the hearing of God's word. We're reading Jonah chapter 1. It's on page 774. It's in your pew Bibles under your chairs. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call against it. For their evil has come before me. But Jonah, now, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so, this, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner parts of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account the evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is that this you have done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, that the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The word of the Lord. Maybe seated. Let's pray. Father, we affirm that the the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word, O Lord, stands forever. It is transcendent, it is ancient, but it has meaning for us today. And so, Lord, we'll be able to see what you're trying to speak to us this morning. And no matter what our week has been like, you have called us here this morning to give us this message. We pray this in your heavenly name. Amen. Well, as we jump into this dark tale of Jonah, uh, we realize that we're not in Sunday school anymore. 
Uh, it's a very different story than what we might expect. Uh, just going from the beginning, verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And so we see that Jonah is a prophet, and he's not like the prophet of today where we think a prophet is uh, just telling the future. Uh, a prophet is simply one who's just relaying God's message to his people. Uh, that's just doing what prophets do. And he's apparently been doing this for some time now. This isn't his first Uh, outing as a prophet, Uh, and God tells him to get up and to go to Nineveh and to call out against it. And I don't know how your uh, world history uh, has stuck in your head or not, how well that's done, uh, but Nineveh was the capital city of the great Assyrian Empire. And Assyria was this, this superpower that was just known for being overly aggressive and technologically advanced. They were the first to, to have iron on their, the tips of their spears and iron on their shields and iron on their chariots. Uh, and they have these great, scary stories of the tortures of what the Assyrian Empire would do to people, even for the most minor offenses, cutting off limbs. Uh, this is the type of city that you, you'd walk up to and you see heads on stakes. Uh, And so God says, Jonah, go to that city and call out against it. And you can see why he's a little hesitant to do so, uh, because you're going into this superpower, this evil place. And Nineveh, the, 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 the heart of the beast, the belly of the beast, is this giant city that we find out later it takes Jonah three days to walk into the center of. And so it's going to take him three days to walk in, and he's saying, that's a, a no return mission. You sure, God, you want to call me there? <laughs> hmm, I'm not sure. And so Jonah is, is, is really thinking about this hard, and God says, go to them, call out against it, and just say, stop it. He doesn't just say, call out against this sin. He says, go and call out against all of it. <laughs> Everything they're doing, just stop it. <laughs> and so it's saying, because their, their evil has reached the heavens. The Hebrew is that it's, it's, evil has mounded upon mounded upon mounded, reaching to the heavens and saying, it's, it's enough And so Jonah's got this predicament. Go to this place that I don't want to go to. God's calling him to something that he really doesn't want to do. God's calling him to something that he can't control. He's calling him to something that may harm him or leave him dead. God is calling him to something uncomfortable, to love an unlovable people. And so when Jonah's faced with this this decision, what does he do? Run! He's like Forrest Gump. I'm out of here. I just went running for three years. The text literally says in verse 3, Jonah rose to flee, not from the presence of God, but it says from the, from the face of the Lord is the Hebrew there. He rises and he flees from the face of God. And so he's not just running from his hard circumstances. He's not just running from the pain. He's not just running, not even from God's call. What he's running from ultimately is the face of the Lord, and that that is a loaded picture, that all of our running is not just from our circumstances or the pain. Ultimately, our running is actually running from the face of the Lord. And so Jonah can't stand to be looked at right now. He can't stand to be in the presence of God's face, and it's almost comical what happens. God calls him there, and what does Jonah do? Hey, look over there, God, and (laughs) you're calling me to Nineveh. I'm going to go the complete opposite direction to Tarshish. And the reason it's just comical is because, remember, he's not running from Nineveh. He's running from the face of the Lord. And so where are you going to run to, Jonah? (laughs) I know where I'll hide. Tarshish, because God didn't create that. Uh, He goes in the complete opposite direction. He he thinks he's running from God, and it's just ludicrous. And what we see here is one of the most 
commonly accepted practices to, to conflict. Uh, the response to it is either fight or flight. And what does Jonah do? Uh, he, he clearly flights. He clearly leaves because literally he, he, he runs from God. He runs from the face of God. Uh, in some circles, this is also called escapism, uh, fleeing, uh, fleeing the presence. The, 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 the option to stay is too great, and so you just escape into something else. Uh, we medicate ourselves into that. We drug ourselves into that, and we escape it. And so I would say every single day, every one of us runs from the face of the Lord without ever having to leave the room. Every single day, every one of us runs from the face of God without ever leaving the room. We do this in a, a, a host of different ways. I mean, Every one of us has some big decision that we have to make, some pain that's on us, some looming, lurking weightiness that instead of stopping and tackling the issue, we escape into a host of different things. The TV screen. Turn on, tune in, drop out. (laughs) There's escapism. I mean, that's the medication for my soul. (laughs) Turn on, tune in, drop out, and saying, okay, now life is good. Uh, Maybe we escape into a drug and there's a host of different drugs that you could escape into um, and think, as long as my brain isn't actually functionally, uh, working functionally, then I don't actually have to think about my problems. Maybe we escape into busyness and become so busy that we're too busy to think about the emptiness in our hearts, to slow down and see how meaningless it all is. And so I'll schedule another thing this week. I'll have another task to do this week. I'll have another thing to sign up my kid for something else so we have so much to do. We don't ever have to sit around and think about how sad it is, uh, our fam- the, the state of our, the nature of our family. And so um, we have just a, a host of different escapes that we have. And my wife, Kristen, has uh, painted a, a picture of, of a quote from Dr. Karen Purvis that's in our living room. And Dr. Karen Purvis is this TCU uh, professor who, who does uh, this Empowered to Connect and tries to help parents connect with their uh, their kids on up to teenagers, and it's kind of built towards foster and adopt families and things like that. That's how we know of it, but it's for everyone. Uh, but one of the very powerful quotes that's in our living room that just convicts me every single day, uh, it says, people are more important than rectangles. People are more important than rectangles. And I see that and I go, I mean, think of all the different rectangles in your life that distract you from people. I mean, the cell phone is probably the the biggest killer, right? My phone has an endless amount of distractions, the endless amount of apps and songs I can download, endless amount of photos to decide whether I upload or to download or to like or to de-like or (laughs) to post or not, Uh, an endless amount of people to follow, and an endless amount of things that you can do on that phone and distract yourself. We have the TV screen, which is another rectangle we think of, uh, we already mentioned, uh, turn on, tune in, drop out. You have in, in now more of a sophisticated rectangle. You have a book. Uh, <laughs> it feels okay to, to, to tune out in that, and sometimes it does feel good to just to just check out and read a good book. Uh, Dean Coots, uh, who's the author of a lot of horror and thriller books, uh, wrote this. Be- books were this wonderful escape for me because I could open a book and disappear into it. And that was the only way out of the house when I was a kid. And so it gives you a picture of maybe the, the horrors of what he grew up in. And so sometimes um, we need to escape. This isn't a, this isn't a, a, 
a judgment on you. If you're in an abusive situation, escape is actually what you need to be doing. This is not, we're not speaking to that type of situation. We're talking about running uh, from the face of the Lord ultimately. And we do this all the time. We've taken escapism and we just made it our life. It's become our lives. Everything is distraction. Everything is just space fillers and time killers and nothing has meaning. And we, soon we don't even know why we do it. And so Jonah's fleeing he doesn't even know why he's fleeing it sometimes. You think of um, uh, Forrest Gump. When he runs for three years, why did he run? He said, well, I just felt like running. <laughs> but why did he run? His, his, the love of his life, Jenny, had just left him. <laughs> and so as many times, we don't even know why we're, we're ending, entering into these distractions. But ultimately, we're saying what we're running from is the face of the Lord. And so my question to you is, what is your escape? You know, what's your run? And I, I'm, I'm guessing you know what it is. And there's a host of, there are a couple of different things you probably run to. You found it? All right, so the scarier question is this. Why? Why are you running into it? What are you running from? Now, that's the scarier question. What has God called you to that you think you can't face? Um. Let's look at what happens with Jonah in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And so the Lord hurled a wind upon the sea. So this image of a warrior uh, throwing a spear. And so he, the, God throws this spear of wind at, at Jonah. Uh, very cool image. And it just it tears, the, tears the, the boat apart almost. In the ancients, if you remember, that the, the sea was this place that was just the the, the picture of fear, the picture of, uh, of terror and being unstable. They didn't want to go anywhere near the sea. And they're on the sea now, and they're in the midst of this giant tsunami that is just throwing them back and forth. And so their, their nightmares are coming alive. Waves are crashing down so hard. The wind is pulling the sails this way and that so hard that the ship threatened to break. And I don't know if you've ever been in a tsunami or in a storm when, when you're on a boat, but sailors say it's like riding a horse that is trying to buck you off of the ship. And it's just trying to throw you off into the sea. And so the men were so scared, they start hurling cargo off the ship to try to lighten the load, and it doesn't do anything. But then it says that these men even started to pray. They started to pray to their God. Even their pagan God, when faced with death, they cried out to their God. And so where's Jonah during all this? Verse 5, he's asleep. And not just asleep, not just laying down, he's fast asleep. And you say, what? Not just like practically how could you do that, but like, are, are you kidding? Of, of all the people that should be awake during this time that know that you're running from God and all this ha- is happening, you're, you're out cold? He's not only asleep, but fast asleep. And so you have like the the creaking of the cordage on the boat, the dashing of the waves, the howling of the winds, the yelling of these mariners at him. All of this is not arousing him because he is fast asleep. And that's that's a Hebrew word for when Adam was fast asleep when God put him down under to do some surgical work and take out his rib and make Eve. And so this fast asleep is this surgical sleep. Jonah is out. He is comatose. He's not coming. He's not waking up. And you may ask, you know, how is this possible? And some thoughts were, well, maybe it's because it's a a sailor's ship that there might have been some liquid cargo down below that Jonah found. 
It's very possible. I'm not above that. Um, maybe this is the effects of, of the sin. It's just, he's just uh, in complete denial of his sin. And so he's just saying, I'm out. I'm just tuning everything out. It's just overwhelming sin. Or maybe it's just God put him under with, the, with the, that surgical sleep. But regardless, what happens, I think, is just hilarious. You have the ship captain coming up to him. This pagan coming up to him and saying, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And it's just like he's coming up to Jonah. Are you crazy? What are you doing? Wake up. Not just wake up physically, but wake up from whatever you're going through. You've got to figure it out right now. Be present. Do you see what's happening here? So you get the picture that it's just all chaos, but yet no matter the storm, no matter the amount of chaos going on, God is in complete control of this. He's in complete control of this because everyone in this story, everyone in this story is listening to God except Jonah. Isn't that interesting? Everyone in the story is listening to God except Jonah. Even the sailors are starting to see the wisdom in this other God. Even the storm obeys God. Even the ship obeys God. Even the whale starts to obey God. Except Jonah. And so we see this truth all throughout Scripture. That God has a plan, and that even our sinful, rebellious hearts can't muck it up. As in Genesis, you guys remember the story about a little boy named Joseph? You know, the story of a little boy named Joseph. He's the youngest of all his brothers. And Joseph is this boy who, he's really, he's an annoying little brat. And he starts telling his brothers how much better he is than all of them, just like your brother has probably said that to you. Um, And he starts saying, I've had these dreams where all my brothers are bowing down to me. (laughs) I hate that kid. (laughs) And he starts saying, hey, Dad, can I get my psychedelic jacket so you can, you know, show everyone how much I'm the favorite son and loved by everyone else? And so (laughs) you got Joseph having these great moments that makes everyone hate him. And so his brothers end up taking him and selling him into slavery, just like you probably did with your brother. And they sell him into slavery. And while he was a slave in Egypt, he actually rose to become a chief administrator uh, in, in the Egyptian government. And he prepared that kingdom for the coming famine. And so when the famine hit, Egypt was okay because of what he did. And so he became the, the king's right-hand man to, for helping them during that time. And then the brothers during the famine are coming to them for help, saying, you know, we need some help and some food. And they, he sees, they see their brother is now the king's right-hand man, and they're just distraught with fear, saying, oh, no, here comes the wrath of our brother. And what does Joseph say to them? He says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Man, what a powerful thing that you meant evil, but God meant it for good. There is so much theology packed into that thought right there. The understanding that there is no waste in God's economy, that even when we do bad things, even when we make our terrible mistakes, God is even able to redeem those for himself. I mean, there is so much freedom in that. And then the sailors start casting lots. And casting lots is, you know, sticks with some symbols and stones with some images on them. And they, they throw them out and they, they interpret the results and they see that it's Jonah is the reason for the, the chaos that's going on with the ship. And 
Jonah says, okay, yeah, it's my fault. <laughs> uh, but it took more than Jonah running from God. It took more than the sea yelling at Jonah and throwing him around. It took more than the men yelling at him, wake up, O sleeper, for him to finally actually wake up and come face to face with his problems. What actually woke him up was them asking, who are you? And he says, I'm a Hebrew. Reminding him who he actually is, who he truly is. And he says, I'm a Hebrew, and he says, who fears not just God, they've been using throughout this passage, not just fears God, but Lord in all caps, and that's the, the Hebrew name for Yahweh. So I'm a Hebrew who fears Yahweh, who in turn made the heavens from which the storm is now coming, who made the seas and the earth, who's now thrown us back and forth like a rag doll. And so finally, finally, the prophet actually comes face to face with his issues, Finally, he realizes he can't outrun God, and the preacher of repentance finally repents. Finally. And so have you been putting off this repenting thing for a while now? There's still hope for you, as there was with Jonah. Have you been putting it off for a while? God is seeking after us. Verse 12, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And now there are many people who want to say that this is just a continuation of uh, Jonah's just uh, escapism, his, this continuation of uh, just his rebellion and saying, fine, God, if, if I can't run from you, if there's no way to, to hide from you, I'm just going to kill myself in my last final act on earth. I'm going to throw myself into the sea and, I'm, and if I can't escape you, I'm going to escape you in this way, and I'm going to defy you this way. But it, I don't think Jonah is on suicide watch. I don't think he's so depressed that he's giving up in this one last escape, because what he says here is that he's still a man who fears Yahweh. He's, he still believes that this is all because of the, the sovereignty of God, that God's actually orchestrating all this. And so not once does he doubt the sovereignty of God. He just doubts God's goodness to him in this passage. And he says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea, will, the sea will quiet down for you. He knows that's what's going to happen. But notice, Jonah doesn't know the end of the story. He know, we know what's going to happen. We know a whale's going to get him. But Jonah doesn't know that. He says, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. He's saying, I will, I will, I will die for you men. I will save you men with my life. And it's just this, Jonah's last final act is one of sacrifice, and it's ironic that Jonah is saying at the beginning of this story, I'm not going to go to Nineveh and give my life for these Gentiles. And he goes all the way over here to Tarshish, or almost there. And now he says, I'll give my life for these Gentiles. I'm going to die for these Gentiles and bring them back to life. I mean, we just see it's so ironic, it's so beautiful that he ends up using his life to save the sailors. And so God will not allow Jonah's purpose to be at the hand of Jonah's failures. God is saving Jonah from himself. God doesn't allow you and me to muck up his plan. <laughs> and what a comforting thought that is. I need to hear that, <laughs> that God will save me from myself, that my usefulness to God isn't at the mercy of me. That my sin has not thwarted God's plan. That my usefulness is not at the mercy of me. That even my escapes can't escape God and what he's doing. He will work it all out to his glory. And what a load off that can be. I don't know about you, 
If you're ever stressed over failing so miserably, you're wondering if God will ever use you again, this is a wonderfully peaceful passage that God is still at work. God will save you from you. If you ever worry if God has given you the cold shoulder because of your past, or if your friend's salvation is in your hands and you, and you blew it, it's not in your hands. It's in God's hands. He is sovereign. And here everyone ultimately listens to God, even Jonah at the end. And so one thing to say is that this isn't a, this isn't a strategy this isn't a template to follow that if God calls you to a specific thing and you say, well, I'm just going to go the opposite direction because it worked for Jonah. <laughs> no, no, I don't think that's the template for us to follow because this is an incredibly painful and destructive path that Jonah follows. You know, the ship almost breaks. He almost kills some sailors. He gets eaten by a whale. Not the path to follow. You know, seeing God's will and doing the opposite isn't what we, we're, we're being called to right here. But what happens here, when, when the sea takes Jonah something very interesting happens. The sea swallows him, and there's instant peace. This, verse 15, they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased, stopped from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Oh, that's like kind of like a, a given. <laughs> you take this man, and this giant sea is raging back and forth, and you throw him into the water, and just instant placid, instant calm. And the men go, who was that dude? <laughs> who was that guy? Who is this God? That will wake you up. That will wake you up to see that firsthand. And they began to fear not just God as the lowercase as they've been using throughout this passage. They began to fear Yahweh. They began to fear the Lord. And so he even uses the rebellion of his prophets to be on the lookout for some sailors. And so what happens though when Jonah is thrown into the sea, he doesn't appease the wrath of God as we might assume would happen, but something entirely different happens. Instead of the raging, wrathful God, you know, pouring out the punishment on Jonah as he's deserving of, as we would all expect, God rescues Jonah again. You think, man, this guy gets a lot of free passes. <laughs> Saving him from himself. He saves him with a fish. And note the, the word there is fish. There's nowhere we see whale. I think we just want to say whale because it's huge. Uh, but it's a rescue. The fish is a rescue. It's a safety. It's a harbor. And this is phenomenal, that the man who is completely disobedient to God, the one who deserves a good smacking, is being sought after and loved through his sin. He doesn't deserve it. And this is the predicament of this book. Those who get grace don't deserve it. God calls Jonah to, to Nineveh, to this horrible city, these horrible people, and wants to offer them grace. And Jonah says, no way. And then God is going to ultimately give them grace. And he's offering grace to Jonah, who doesn't listen to God, who doesn't deserve it. This reminds me of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, if you remember back when, uh, in, in the first book where uh, Gandalf is speaking with Frodo about this creature named Gollum. And Gollum is this, this he was a, was a man, was a hobbit. Um, and after so many, uh, with, with the lure of the power drawing him, the, the power of this magical ring uh, drawing him, uh, it's corrupted him, and it became such a horrible person, did such horrible acts that he actually became this, this gangly monster, this creature. And, and Bilbo is saying to Gandalf, we've got to end him. <laughs> why, don't, why don't we kill him? And Frodo is wanting to end him and says, I do not feel any pity for Gollum. You have not seen him, 
Gandalf broke in. No, and I don't want to, said Frodo. I can't understand you. Do you mean to say that you and the elves have let him live on after all the horrible deeds? He deserves death. Deserves it. I dare say he does, Gandalf says. Many that live deserve death, and some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them? Then do not be eager to deal out death and judgment, for even the very wise cannot see all ends. I have not much hope that Gollum can be cured before he dies, but there is a chance of it. My heart tells me that he has some part to play yet, for good or ill, before the end. So ends the reading of J.R. Tolkien. (laughs) I feel like I should say that. (laughs) Jonah, Nineveh, Gollum, (laughs) you don't deserve life. We deserve death, yet we get life. Jesus, who deserves life, gets death. It's this, it's this backwards world and this backwards story that God comes for people like you and he offers rescue for you. He rescued Jonah with a storm and a whale and he offers a greater rescue for you and me. When Jesus is being questioned by the Pharisees saying, you know, we wish to see a sign from you. You prove yourself to us. And Jesus answered them, answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet of Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so what Jesus is telling them is there's something, there's a greater Jonah here. And so just as Jonah went down for three days, I'm going to go down for three days. Jonah went down for three days of God rescuing him, but I'm going down for three days to experience the wrath of God. There's a greater Jonah here because the wrath fully comes out on that one man in Jesus Christ. The better Jonah goes down for three days, not with a fish to rescue him, but he goes down for three days for the earth to swallow him whole and to feel death and separation for three days for you and for me and and had the full wrath of God poured out on him. And so today, do you want to escape your escapism? You want to quit all these distractions that are distracting you from the real issues that are going on. You're tired of running. You're tired of running from your problems into sin. Hear the voice of the sailor, wake up. Oh, sleeper. The escape you're seeking isn't good enough shelter. And now you can face whatever it is when you escape into the better shelter, into the arms of your Savior. When you run into that, now you can face whatever problem you're going through together, knowing that he isn't there to beat you down with the sea and the waves. He's actually here to rescue us. He's here to rescue a Ninevite and a Jonah like you And he can actually even use a broken Jonah like you to further his kingdom. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do thank you that you have not sent Jonah to save us and have given up on us a long time ago. When we were alienated from every hope of salvation, you've given us your son, Jesus, who is so committed to us that he died for us and took the pain, took the wrath, and went under for three days for you and for us. And so, Lord, 
would you reveal to us the rescue, the greater rescue that is offered to us in the gospel that seeks out rebels such as us. We pray this in your heavenly name. Amen.